0: So I just want to invite Larissa Shepherd up to read the word.
1: Hey guys, um, so we're going to be in Mark 4, 1 through 12. And again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many teachings by parables, and said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed, that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see so that, seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them.
0: Awesome. So today we're going to take a break from the book of Acts. I asked my dad if um, I could do something. He asked me to speak, and I said, okay, but can I do something that I've already kind of prepared since I have a two-month-old? And he said yes. So we're not going to be in the book of Acts, um, We're going to be in the book of Mark, as Larissa just read. We're going to be talking about the parable of the sower. Um, So I'm privileged to be able to, to share with you guys this morning. I'm excited to do so. I decided to make a small PowerPoint for us. I didn't want to, since Tim normally doesn't. And it's kind of a, you know, it's breaking a cardinal rule of guest preaching, doing things differently than the senior pastor that you're filling in for. But then something happened, I'm serious. The other day, I was at the dinner table, and um, my mom asked me, or was asking me for the, to pass the salt. And she looked in my eyes and said, Kai, Cade, whatever your name is, pass the salt. <laughs> Mind you, one's in the state of California, the other's in the middle of this state. She's looking me right at the eyes. I'm 23 years old, and she's still... Screwed up my name, right? She she didn't even get it. She said, whatever your name is, right? And so this morning, we're going to be looking at four different types of soil. And just like when there's four kids or four soils involved, sometimes it gets a little bit confusing. So hopefully this just helps you out a little bit. So something that's been on my mind lately has been what kind of legacy do I want to build? I personally want to live a life that matters, that counts, that makes an impact, that makes a difference. I want to stand before God and have done something with the resurrection life that his son purchased for me through his death. A life spent loving people well. A life spent serving God faithfully. A life spent deepening my intimacy with him through the different means that he's given us to do so. And we know them. Prayer, the word, community, disciplines, work, creation, and more, I want to live a fruitful life, one that matters, that makes a mark in eternity, right? To participate with God in building a kingdom that will see no end, instead of building my measly little kingdom that ends when I do. I'd hope that this would be your desire as well, and I'm sure that's a common desire, And Jesus gives us amazing insight into three different types of people that don't amount to much. And one type of person that makes great impact, or in the words of Jesus, bears fruit. So we're going to learn about this here this morning. And I wanted to start off by saying something that Jesus says in between his parable and his explanation of this parable. And this comes from Matthew's gospel, so give me a second to turn there. It's Matthew 13, verses 10 through 17. This is Matthew's account of the story, and he adds just a little bit more detail when talking about this in-between moment between Jesus' parable and his explanation of the parable. So I'm going to read to you Matthew 13, 10 through 17. And it reads like this. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, excuse me, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, So that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus in this passage is speaking to a multitude of people his disciples were there as well so he's talking to the, the multitude the people like jesus is just starting his ministry it's becoming very popular people are coming around so he has the multitude but also his disciples and jesus is explaining that he is teaching in parables for a specific particular purpose and that is that those who want to learn and understand will learn and and understand And those who don't care will not do any deeper work. And they wouldn't understand because of it. Think of it almost like a doorway. Those who were interested to come and see would come inside under the threshold and they would understand. And those of them that didn't want to understand, they just stayed outside the doorway. And so I think that the purpose might be that Jesus was protecting the people uninterested in this parable or going deeper, from a greater condemnation or judgment, from rejecting a clearly understood truth. Because once we know, we are responsible to obey. I've got an example for us. Uh, If there's kids in here, you'll know this one. If there's husbands in here, you'll know this one. Your wife, or maybe your mom or dad, asks you to pull the chicken out of the freezer. And you didn't do it. And you hear the car pull into the driveway. Oh no, your heart sinks, right? Oh, dang it, I was supposed to do that, right? And so then you hurry up, try to thaw the chicken really fast and act like you were responsible and did it. If my wife, if I didn't pull the chicken out of the freezer, but my wife never asked me to do it, well, I wouldn't be responsible. How was I supposed to know that she wanted it to happen? But if she asked me, she looked me in the eye at 8 a.m. and says, Beck, when you get home, you're going to pull the chicken out of the freezer, right? And I say, yes, I am then I'm responsible to obey. Does that make sense? And so when we understand something, once we know we're responsible to obey, it can be dangerous for us when we come, maybe we come to, ch- to church or in our quiet time or we hear a sermon or a podcast and we hear clear truth because then if we reject it, we can become hardened to the things of God. Bible commentator David Guzik says this, The same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. And so the very same gospel message that humbles the honest heart and leads to repentance may also harden the heart of the dishonest listener and confirm that one in their path of disobedience. So listen, this morning, don't harden your heart. It could put you in a tough situation, in a tough spot. Be open to what God is doing. Be open to what God is trying to speak to us this morning and every time we approach the word of God. Think of Judas. He was with Jesus. He was a disciple, meaning he was a student of Jesus and Jesus was his rabbi or teacher not in the way that we think of a teacher we think of a teacher as someone we go and sit in their class for 30 minutes kind of listen to them maybe do some homework and shuffle along to the next teacher in this culture in this context a disciple and te- you would leave your life and go follow your rabbi and so Jesus or excuse me Judas would see what Jesus was preparing for his sermons he would you know see him ministering Healing, performing miracles, transforming lives, listening to all of his sermons. How about that one? You see, proximity does not equal participation. You can show up to church. You can sit in on a sermon. You can hear the word of God rightly divided. You can be physically present and yet spiritually absent, just like Judas. He heard with his ears, but he was closed off. With his heart. So, do we come to church or Bible study or God's presence in the stillness of our time with him, ready to feel better about ourselves, to do what's socially acceptable, or do we come ready, expecting to meet with the living God, longing to encounter his presence, and then to learn to obey what he has lovingly asked of us? Now, if it's the former, maybe you've been hardened or you leave here not receiving the word. I wish that was not your experience, right? But there's always hope. As long as we're breathing, there's hope. Our God is more than capable of breaking up even the hardest of hearts. The first place my mind goes is to Paul, right? He was the hardest. He said he was the chief of sinners and goes to countless others, but God can break even the hardest of hearts. But let me ask you this. Why would you want to risk it? Why would you want to play the game? Why would you let yourself be hardened? He who has ears, let him hear this morning. Let's receive. So let's pray that God would come. Let's pray that God would work in our lives, that he'd speak, move. And once he does, that we'd be receptive and open so that we wouldn't become hardened ourselves. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the lessons from it. Lord, we thank you for your presence here. God, I pray, Lord, as a community, we would be open to receiving the Word of God into our cold, feeble hearts, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we go and dive into your Word this morning, God, that you would encourage us if we need encouragement, you'd convict us and bring us low if that's what we need, Lord. So we pray that you'd come, you'd do your perfect work, you'd speak clearly to us, and once we listen, once we hear, God, that we would just simply obey, trusting in your goodness and in your character. So may you be exalted through the teaching of your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Larissa read us the first nine verses of this parable, and Jesus here is simply saying it. What is a parable? It's a story that conveys a spiritual truth. So Jesus is telling us here a story with spiritual truths, And it includes a picture of, right, a farmer, soil, seeds, and fruit. He's telling us a spiritual story using physical examples that we can understand. And Jesus is gracious enough to explain the parable here that Larissa didn't read. We're going to read that here in a second. To his disciples. They didn't understand. They said, Jesus, would you please explain it? And he does. And now he's gracious enough to explain it to us, his disciples, here this morning. Here, earlier, um, Jesus, or Jesus later, excuse me, I said earlier, I mean later, when we're, what we're about to read, is going to show us that the soil in the parable represents our hearts. So we're pretty much going to fall into one of these soils that Jesus describes. How do I know this? Who here, you probably won't always raise your hands, but I'll do it, who here has sinned after they had come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. All right, look around the room real quick. Look at that, right? Yeah, me too, right? Here's a simple truth. God saves us in three different aspects. One, justification. We have been saved. The moment you give your life to Jesus, it's just as if you had not sinned. Justification. Two, so you have been saved. Glorification. You will be saved. Where does that take place? In heaven, when we're transformed, where there's no more sickness, no more death, no more sin. And then sanctification. So God has saved us, he will save us, and he is saving us right now. Sanctification. He's saving us from ourselves. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church, not the unsaved culture, and he prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. What's that mean? Obviously, they were darkened. Or this one, Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. What's he teach his disciples to pray? To ask for forgiveness for their sins. We still make mistakes as followers of Jesus. I could keep on going with different examples, but the point is, we haven't arrived yet. We're not perfect. We still fall into moments where the soil of our hearts is not healthy. It's not conducive to growth. So, as we're going, think about this, and then ask for ask God for discernment as to which of these soils we might fall into sometimes. Or to put it another way, what condition our heart is in. So let's read Mark four thirteen through fifteen. And he said to them, "Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables?" The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So the first soil is the hard ground. These that don't listen to the word of God listen with understanding, with the intent to obey. This posture creates A hard heart it's like the word is walking over us time and time again and it's beginning to create a compact downtrodden soil because we don't let Jesus in even after attempt and attempt and attempt some speculate whether this person is saved or not to be honest with you I don't know I'm not sure but what I am sure is I don't want to be in this position so my encouragement for you, if you find yourself with hard soil in your heart, let God in and ask that he would help break up the hard ground of your heart. If not, that hard ground might just become the path that leads to your destruction. In Hosea, God is talking to a, hard, a hardened people when he says this. What a beautiful verse. Sow for yourselves righteousness... Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. If you've been closed off, or maybe you've been stubborn, you don't want to bend your will to God's, or you've been prideful, you don't want to humble yourself before God, God can soften the hard ground of your heart by raining his righteousness upon you. To break up the ground of the desensitized heart. But it comes at a cost. And that cost is humbling yourself. Recognizing your need for him to humbly bow down and claim the promises from the book of James that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. If this is you this morning, I'd encourage you, just give up and give in to God's grace. Live a life that matters, that counts, bear fruit instead of investing into a kingdom that might last another 50 years if we're so lucky, right? That's the first type of soil. The second one is stony ground. So let's read the next two verses, 16 and 17 in chapter 4 of the book of Mark. These, likewise, are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So look at this ground, the, the stony ground. This is ground that's shallow. It doesn't have much depth or earth. Right? When I think of a shallow Christianity, I think of a self-centered Christianity. Right? It's the type of Christianity that you only practice when it's convenient for you. It's the type of Christianity that makes Jesus a part of your life, but he's not your whole life. Let's look at this. from the Listen to these words of Jesus from John 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. Jesus didn't say, I am the resurrection and part of your life. I am the life. Jesus is not a hobby, He's your life. If you treat him like some aspect of your life, your relationship and your roots will be shallow. You're going to wilt at the first sign of inconvenience. Maybe you'll have a great time at a Sunday service. Maybe you have a great time on a weekend retreat, or you hear a really great, great podcast, or you go to a powerful worship night somewhere. But as you return to everyday life, you will wilt, if you don't allow your roots to run deep. What we are made of determines what we are made for. If you are made of stony ground, you are not built to handle trials and tribulations. And I have news for you. Jesus promises his disciples that they will have tribulations, that there will be hard times. Right? So think about this. We have to create, or, or what excuse me, why would we wilt? We haven't created the necessary conditions to thrive in a different set of circumstances, only to thrive in the circumstances that we're in at the moment. Yeah, it's awesome to go to a great, you know, Sunday morning service, You might feel your leave feeling great. It's awesome to go on a weekend retreat, right? It's awesome to go to a, you know, a powerful Good Friday service. Those things are great. But where's your heart on a normal Tuesday night in February? How do you treat your family then, right? What kind of language do you use on a typical workday at the office? What's your prayer life like on just the -the run-of-the-mill Average Thursday in October. Right? Notice Jesus said, I think it's kind of interesting, the root of these people isn't in themselves. Are we rooted in Jesus? Or are we just surrounded by a garden of people who are? And we're deceiving ourselves. What's going on in the soil of your heart? Not your spouse's heart, not your parents, not your friends. What's going on in the soil? of your hearts, Are you being fruitful? Or maybe, instead of being rooted in other people, we're rooted in our circumstances. As long as I have a stable job, or God allows me to have a few nice things, or God provides for me a significant other, then I'll be devoted to, to him. Right? But what happens when, like Job, everything else but God is stripped away from you? Or like Paul who's sitting there in the prison cell writing his epistle of joy because all he has is Christ and he's happy with that. What happens when everything else is stripped away? Where's your faith? What's the soil of your heart like? Let's be people that are rooted and grounded in Jesus for ourselves just like Paul's praying uh, for the the people um, in Ephesus. Why? Because being... Rootless will result in being fruitless. Pray that your roots would start to run deep, not just surface level. Pray that you would start to draw nutrients, draw your spiritual vitality, energy, sustenance from Jesus, and then watch your roots spread. And to be honest with you, often this takes time. It takes patience. It takes practice. It takes trust, but by God's help, we can become firm Christians, not fragile ones. This is important because if Satan, our enemy, cannot destroy us, he'll try to distract us. If he can't get you to fall, he will attempt to get you to fail in being fruitful. Don't let Satan make you ineffective for God's kingdom. The third one, thorny ground. Let's read verses 18 and 19. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. These are the people that love to do everything. They love coming to church. They love worship. They love coming to a Bible study and being in community. But they also love their sin. And they love the world. And they love mixing these concepts together. There's no pruning. There's no cutting away at the evil things. Just mixing the good and the bad. Let's let everything grow in the garden of our hearts. And these people need to experience and live out the crucified life. One that's dead to our flesh, dead to our old nature, and dead to sin. Paul writes this in the book of Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no, no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is you You might find yourself in this soil. You need to start saying no to sin. To let God prune and to cut back at the sinful thorn bushes. Those areas where we love things, people, ourselves more than we love God. So that we might live a fruitful life. You guys know what composting is? Right? We know, right? It's like taking dead things, right? Letting them rot, basically and then using that to bring nutrients to soil so other things might grow. So listen to this. A crucified life creates the fertile soil from which a fruitful life is born. As we die to self and we cut the thorns out, Jesus can go deep and cause us to bear fruit that does not get choked out, that does not wither away. The fourth type of soil is the good ground. Let's read verse 20. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some a 100. This is the attitude that God wants us to have toward his word. We have so many opportunities to go deep with him. We live in the point, the greatest point in human history in relation to having Bible resources. We have so many. You can listen to some of the greatest Bible teachers to ever live in about five seconds. Seriously. There's books, There's podcasts, there's movies, there's articles, you name it, there's good resources on the Bible, wherever you go. But we have to let the Word fall on good soil. Not rocky soil, not thorny, not hard soil. I can promise you this, you will regret not being open to what God wants to do or speak in your life to not listening or obeying. I regret the times that I haven't. Every time I regret it. This verse here, in verse 20, implies that there's responsibility on our part to be listening, to be receptive. You will never regret letting God have full reign over your heart, right? The word there, here. In verse 20, carries the idea of listening with the intent of obeying. Are we just listening? Or are we coming at the word of God saying, Lord, what you speak to me today, I want to obey? That's the difference between these types of soil and the good soil. And so as we do this, Jesus causes us to bear fruit. What does good fruit look like? Right? It's life giving, it's sweet, it's refreshing. Jesus was all of those things. Are you? As you abide in him, as you let the words go deep in your heart, you will live a life that matters. You will build a legacy that outlives you. Christian fruit can be summed up like this. Ready? Christian character. You guys know the verse in the book of Galatians, the fruit of the spirit. What is it talking about there? It's talking about characteristics, character traits, love, joy, peace. You guys know them. God's will for our lives, it says in the Bible, and especially in Romans, is that we would grow into the image and likeness and character of Jesus. How do we accomplish that? I have good news and bad news. It involves you, but it's not up to you. We have a part to play, but the pressure is off of us. What do I mean by that? In John 15, Jesus gives us the key to bearing fruit, to having Christ-like character, which is the will of God for your life, and my life, and all of our lives. John 15:5, Jesus is speaking in one of the most beautiful passages that he teaches to his disciples. He says this, "'I am the vine, you are the branches.'" He who abides in me and I in him, look at this, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. What's the formula? How do we bear fruit in our lives? How do we find success in Christian character? What's your responsibility to play? Abide with Jesus, he'll take care of the rest. Be plugged into the vine as the branches. And he'll cause growth. Your responsibility is over and over and over and over again, get in the presence of Jesus. Abide with him. Live a life that's hidden in Christ. As you do that, you will look more like him. You will be shaped into his image. As we abide with him, he causes us to bear fruit or to make an impact. We have a somewhat broken idea of impact, I think in the church today, not all of us, but some of us, sometimes we think that we have to evangelize thousands, or millions, like Billy Graham, or that we have to preach a sermon like Chuck Smith, or we have to go on mission, maybe like the team in Hungary, or maybe we think of one of the famous missionaries, like Jim Elliot. You know what's interesting about what Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed? Did he go and preach his most powerful sermon? Did he exercise demons? Did he raise from the dead? Did he heal the blind? You know what he did? He washed the feet of his friends. Jesus is showing us that impact is more about who we are, not about what we do. As we become people of Christ-like character, whatever we do can be, and I would argue, is impactful. We were reading in youth group the other day a story from Mark, and Jesus is saying, when a traveler comes into your city, go fetch him a cold cup of water. And basically Jesus says you'll be rewarded for it in heaven. A petty idea, maybe we think, of just getting someone a cold cup of water, Jesus is saying those small things are big in heaven. They make great impact. I could, Jesus probably thinking, right, saying to us in the last Holy Week, his last week of being alive, and he's saying, I could go do anything. I could go preach a great sermon. I could heal people from the dead. I could, whatever. On the last night before I'm betrayed, I'm going to pick up a washcloth because that's how the kingdom of God is advanced. So for us, what has God given you to do? Something small. Maybe you think it's menial or unimportant, like Brad was saying, Nothing's unimportant in the eyes of God. Even something small when we do it with a heart to love people and to serve and honor God. And as you focus on who you are more than what you're doing, you will create an impact. Psalm 92, 12. I think it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says the righteous Righteous shall flourish. That's a lot of shh sounds. Sorry. Like a palm tree, he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. I want to mention something real quick. In the American church today, we kind of have three ideas about growth, but I want to introduce a fourth one. Typically, you always hear this. Typically, maybe we're talking about growth when we're backsliding, So going back, right? Or maybe we're stagnant. Or maybe we talk about being on fire for the Lord, being zealous for God. But think about in this verse, the righteous, the righteous, excuse me, shall grow like a cedar. A cedar doesn't shoot up. It's not quick. What if we were committed to growing steady and slowly and faithfully a type of growth that's sustainable, a type of growth that's sturdy. I think of some of the holiest and most mature people I know in the faith. They have been faithfully obeying the small things over and over and over for a long period of time. If you're not growing at an exponential pace, that's okay. Just keep abiding. Just keep growing. Our little girl was born, so tomorrow will be two months. And she was tiny. She still is tiny. okay? And she can't eat a lot. She has a tiny little stomach. But you know what she does? She eats pretty much every hour. She's hungry, right? And she eats, and it's not a lot. And already in two months, she's 50% bigger than where she was. We might think, ah, what am I going to do? Get in, I don't have time to get in the word this morning. I don't really have time for prayer. Uh, I can do that tomorrow. Man, what if you just made a commitment every day? I'm going to grow steadily. It might be small, but then look back after a month, after six months, after a year, what would we look, what would we look like if we committed to growing, to changing, to abiding in Jesus? So I'm going to give us some homework. You guys are like, what substitute teacher gives homework? That's like the lamest thing you could possibly do, right? You guys probably want Tim to come back. I have to pick him up at like 2 a.m. tomorrow. So you guys can be praying for their return. Maybe Sanders. not. I think I'm doing it. But I will say that the children's ministry volunteers are going to love me at least because we're going to be done pretty early. Maybe you should petition my dad for me to speak on Steeler Sunday. I don't know. But I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Kind of. Um, So I'm going to give us some homework that I would encourage you to reflect on now, maybe as we're singing, but definitely before your head hits the pillow tonight. So here are some meditations for the soil you typically find in all of our hearts. Ask the Spirit of God to try you to see if there's any wicked way inside of you. He's going to bring things up to the surface. He's going to cause things to bubble up to the surface of your heart. That you can just lay before the Lord and confess. And quick note before um, we get into this, I believe that there's an aspect to which our soils are kind of mixed from time to time. What do I mean by that? For example, sometimes I'm abiding with Jesus, but then a frost comes over my heart. And suddenly the top layer has become becomes hardened, excuse me. Or maybe I'm bearing fruit. But then for about a week or so, I left the thorn bushes go unchecked, and they're starting to grow, right? Or maybe I let the stones creep in, and I've been too lazy to remove them. Eventually, our fruitfulness will suffer. And so while I think we mainly fall into one category, sometimes we cross into another. And so that's why I think it's helpful to listen to all of these. So let's look at... At these remedies, as the worship team comes up to sing the final song. So here's our homework. Ready? Maybe. I can't get it going. Car, can you go to the next slide? Thank you. Okay, ready? There we go. Mourning over our sin. If we have a hard heart, a good remedy for it is to mourn over your sin, to ask God to break you, to humble you. Why? so that your soil can be soft and receptive. One of the verses I had up there was from the book of Matthew. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will or they shall be comforted. As we mourn over our sin, as we are broken over it, God will comfort us. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. Okay, can we go to the next one? If we have a stony heart... Sorry, it's okay. I'm just going to read it if we don't got it. If we have a stony heart, I would encourage you, listen, meditate on the Word of God. Linger in it. Allow your roots to run deep, not just surface level. In Psalm 1, the psalmist says that he meditates on the Word of God day and night. The word for meditate there is kind of gross, you've probably heard this before, but it's a cow eating grass, swallowing it, throwing it back up into its mouth, chewing it again, and doing that seven total times. Why? They're trying to draw the last bit of nutrients from the grass. Listen, if we have a cold, stony heart, if we're gonna go by the warmth of God's word, if you really are cold and there's a fire, would you just walk right past it by reading it real quick? Or would you sit there and would you linger and would you allow it to go into your bones if you're cold, right? We need to linger in the word of God maybe if we've had a stony heart to allow the roots to go deep. Next one, if we have a thorny heart, confess your sin and your fleshly desires asking God to clear out those pesky thorn bushes that result in our fruitfulness um, being diminished, right? And then the last one, if you think that you have good soil, man, praise God. Ask yourself, in what area of your life and character would you like to grow in the next six months? Okay, I think I'm doing pretty good. I've been on a pretty consistent schedule with God. I'm abiding with Jesus. Maybe my patience is lacking. I'm going to make a committed effort to working and asking God to help me in that area. Maybe I haven't been joyful. Man, I'm going to make a consistent effort to grow in that, have people surround me, ask God to help me in that. Whatever it is, keep going and find something that you want to be more fruitful in. And then how about this one? Am I making an impact in my spheres of influence? It doesn't have to be millions of people being evangelized. Are you making a difference in the lives of your friends and family members? and acquaintances, or your peers. I wanted to give you this warning is why. In Mark 11, so a few chapters to our right, Jesus performs his only destructive miracle that we have recorded in the Gospels, in the Bible. He approaches a fig tree that appears to bear fruit. It has all of its leaves. It's green, and Jesus goes up, And there's no figs on this fig tree appearing to bear fruit. And he curses the fig tree and it dies. Do we have the appearance of bearing fruit? Or are we actually bearing fruit? Do we just go to church and go to the studies and go to the worship services, but when people get close, there's really nothing there? Or are we actually bearing fruit? Are we actually growing in Christ-likeness? Are we actually looking more like Jesus? Because as we focus in abiding with Jesus and being with Him and becoming like Him, all areas of our lives are impacted, right? Then in our family, we love greater and we have a greater impact on them. At work, maybe we cut the gossip out and we represent Christ in a better way. Whatever it is, as we become more like Christ, we will have an impact, even if it's just fetching a cold cup. Of water. So as we worship, I'd encourage you guys to reflect on those things and maybe tonight um, to do some work and some, some, uh, you know, some soul work with the Lord uh, before we go to bed. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll worship. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And God, I thank you for speaking to us through the book and the gospel of Mark. Lord, we thank you for this, these examples and these warnings. Lord, in the type of soil that isn't fruitful, that doesn't amount to much, and then, Lord, the type of soil that does, that makes an impact, that invests into the inter- into the kingdom that doesn't end, Lord. So help us, <laughs> Lord, to abide in you, to abide with you, to come close to your heart. And as you, as we do that, Lord, as a community, you will transform us into the image, and likeness, and character of Jesus. And so I pray, God, if we have had hard hearts. Lord, that we'd mourn our sin. We'd confess our pridefulness and stubbornness and allow you to break us and soften us and create in us a heart that's ready to receive. Lord, I pray if we've had stony ground where our Christianity is shallow or maybe it's tied up in other people or in other things, Lord, that we let our roots go deep, that we'd find stability in and nurturing Lord as we just go deep with you Lord if we've had our roots um, Lord in other things but not our the soil of our own heart God I pray that you convict us to love you for ourselves and not just ride on the on the backs of other people because Lord if any, if everything's stripped away Lord we still have you Lord I pray if we have had thorny, soil in our hearts. God, that you'd cut back, that you'd prune the other fleshly, worldly desires so that, Lord, you can cause us to grow and to be unbothered and to do great things for your kingdom. Lord, it it involves trusting you in your hand as pruning hurts and it cuts. But God, I pray that you'd remind us it's for our benefit, it's for our good, and to help us to trust in your hand. Lord, if we've had good soil, or maybe, God, we want to get to this point where we have good soil. I pray that we continue, or that we would start coming to the word of God, expecting to receive and expecting to obey. Not just coming to church, or to your word, God, because it's the right thing to do, or it's socially acceptable, or because my spouse wants me to go, or because my parents want me to go, because I'm going to commune with the living God, and I'm going to obey what he asks of me because there's blessing and obedience. So Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you'd help us to reflect. Lord, that you'd help us to be honest about our condition. Lord, that um, we would take these remedies you give us in your word and we would apply them to our broken, sinful, cold hearts, Lord. And so as we worship, God, I pray that we'd be reflective, that your spirit would be speaking to us. And as you cause things to bubble to the surface, Lord, that we'd freely confess them at your feet.